MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? That moment you lose a job, or a loved one, or even a piece of yourself. I'm Brooke Shields, and this is Now What? A podcast about pivotal moments as told by people who lived them. Each week I sit down with a guest to talk about the times they were knocked off course and what they did to move forward. Some stories are funny. Others are gut-wrenching. But all are unapologetically human and remind us that every success and every setback is accompanied by a choice. And that choice answers one question. Now what? I'm a father because I straightened up. Like, I couldn't have it, you know. It it was better for me to be older and be established and be clear and clean and and be able to give him everything that he, you know, deserved. Well, he woke up this morning, he slept with me, woke up this morning and it was really close. How old is he now? Five and a half. And his face was right next to mine. I says, Dad, yeah, you smell like the bathroom of my school. (laughs) I said, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank thank, thank you for that. Thank you very much. Thank you. We were in Paris uh, over August of my birthday. We were in Greece first and then. And we um, were there two days. And the first day we had this guide uh, who was a nice older French woman, you know, just a normal. And he didn't really pay attention. The next day, <clears throat> this beautiful 30-year-old French guide shows up. And he's like, bon. and he's five and a half. And he's <laughs> wait, you know, I was never like this, but he was so. And his, his move is, he sits back and goes, so uh, what's my favorite color? What's my favorite vegetable? <laughs> like, he, you know, you gotta, he's quizzing it. And so I overhear oh. him talking to this uh, woman and he's saying, um, so I have this girlfriend back at home. Her name's Bella. <laughs> Just as she gets out of earshot, I swear to you, he looks at me and goes, why did I tell her I had a girlfriend? Oh, my God. Like you had a shot at her, kid. My guest today is one of a kind. John Stamos is an actor, a musician, an author, and as it turns out, an excellent interview. He and I met as teenagers, and we grew up in this industry, occasionally crossing paths on TV and in the theater. 
His reputation as a heartthrob and America's dreamiest uncle is easy to understand, but he's also a phenomenal actor, a drummer for the Beach Boys, a husband and a father, and an excellent friend. His memoir, If You Would Have Told Me, was one I couldn't put down. I so appreciated his introspection and his honesty, and I loved reading more about his journey, the one I had witnessed from afar. So without further ado, here is John Stamos. John Stamos. Hi, Brooke. Welcome. I'm so happy you decided to talk to me. I love you, and I'm so excited that you asked me to be on here. I was obsessed with your documentary, the Hulu one that came out about six months ago. I can't believe, I mean, I knew you went through a lot, but just watching that was like, oh my God. Uh, you know, and then it just made me more proud to know you and, and watch the way you've lived your life after. Thank you. Um, when I first met you, uh, up until about right now, I've had the biggest crush on you. <laughs> you were the first superstar girl that I had a crush on that I ever met. And you know where it was? It was at a Circus of the Stars. <laughs> and it's so crazy. I, and I, I had another picture, but I just found this one. Oh my God. That was in the hotel room in Vegas. No, we weren't in any hotel no. rooms. Oh, no. all of us this together. The, I'm not being creepy. This was at the Forum uh, here in Los Angeles. And were you dating Ted McGinley or was he just there? Um, we were dating. He and, he and he went to prom with me. <laughs> I hate it. Oh, that's right. Very that sweet. Is. Yeah. Never but, slept with him. Very sweet. Because, <laughs> you know. Really? Well, it's not too... Oh, you're married now. <laughs> but anyway, I just love you, and, and I'm uh, just grateful that you have me on here today, and what a great, smart idea. Now what? Thank you. And also, I mean, I feel like after reading your book, I have a totally new appreciation for everything that you've done. Thank you very much. What was the process like? Well, it was very difficult. I never thought you had a story to tell. I didn't think I have had one until I started writing it. And being sort of immature about it all, I thought like, all people want to read about is my sexual conquests, which aren't that many, and I'm not going to tell this and that, which was such bullshit. Um, and so I, was, I became a father in my mid-50s, and then Bob died, and I wrote this, um, I wrote this obituary type story about him in the LA Times. And then agents saw it and they said, oh, you got to write a book. I'm like, no, I don't. And I just, could, I just couldn't fathom it. I, just, I couldn't imagine. You're, you, know, you went to college. I, could, I went to that little room where you sign up to go to the college. And, mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't, find, I couldn't find the room at the local college. So I went to Knott's Berry Farm and then I came home. And that, was my, <laughs> that was my school. But as I started, I realized, oh, I just discovered what my story was. I started off with my my mom wrote these beautiful notes. Oh, they're so sweet, and her handwriting is so beautiful. <laughs> I cherish these notes, and I, so that was really a starting point too. And I could sort of put them together and find a map. And then I started with that first chapter, which was getting a DUI, and you know, it turned out like the first uh, sentence was like, "Pull over, Uncle Jesse, you're fucked up." I was like, "Oh man." And it, that was so hard. And, and it was the five stages of grief then were booze and sex and, you know, just everything terrible. And then and then I wrote this, the, what turned out to be the last chapter was the day I found out about Bob. And, you know, the, the five stages of grief there were therapy and family and, and exercise and taking care of myself. So then I just had to figure out how to get there. But I don't know about you, but like when you start telling your story, you, you go like, wow, it, it was pretty extraordinary. You were forthcoming pretty fast. It took me, you know to be honest the way you were and it took me a minute to get there and then i was like oh what my mom gonna do this i gotta you know just do it for real well i mean first of all you you do have a story you did have a story and it's quite evident 
I think we get very comfortable in these industries with right. what other people's narrative is of of us and we and it and it's comfortable and it works and we get approved of and mm-hmm. we get applauded right. and we get stuff for it and yeah, and right, you know and right. so there's all these little seductive pieces that allow your ego I believe to feel like it matters <laughs> and then when you right. sit with the honesty and sweetness of your mother's notes and you yeah. see you, you open the book with that DUI the embarrassment the fear the the and and you know you your reaction was to bring drink an entire bottle of wine and you and you kind of go like see yeah. that's the real shit yeah, yeah so i think that having difficulty at first just means that you are getting away from your ego right. you were getting in touch with yourself as a father yeah, yeah, yeah. yourself as a friend and also playing into what you think people want to hear what they think of you. And I went, that's probably one of the main reasons why I didn't get married sooner or remarried sooner. I thought I had to be this playboy. I thought that I I was the guy that people got to live vicariously through. Now, it's my fault because I play into it 100%. Because like you said, it was, uh, it's comp. Hey, well, I'm a, I think I'm a good looking guy. I got to keep this. In. I wasn't, you know, I was, was wow. you know, in bed early and I stayed away from, no, but I mean like the, 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 uh, Bon vivant, you know, guy. Because I really, all I wanted was true love. All I wanted was what my what my family, what my mom and dad had. All I wanted was a family like that. And thank God, by the skin of my teeth, I ended up with it. Well, you need a starter marriage because I had one of those too. So you, yeah, you, did, you yeah. need one of those. <laughs> do you, That's right. That's do right. you think that you would have, you again, you opened the book with with the DUI and it's very, it's just like, you, you know, you really catch, catch people. But do you think that you would have been able to get truly sober and i say that meaning i know the continuity of having to be mm-hmm. that do you think you would have been able to had it had that event not happened no i probably would have died i didn't want to i didn't i didn't want to kill myself i don't know if you've ever felt like this but if i died i was like okay i've done everything i had a tv show i met brooke shields i played with the beach <laughs> you know i could i could die but i was in so, circus of the stars it was a circus of the stars i mean Damn, what uh, else is there what's McKinley. left <laughs> but you know like learn from me people if you're if you're listening or watching like don't i could have killed somebody brooke i was fuck god i mean to even just talk about it now is it just makes me so sick to my stomach what a and, and what a what a failure i was you know to the universe like i was confusing the universe at that moment because i was brought up a certain way i i i didn't have the obstacles that you had i had both parents and my parents were you know were loving and cool and you know they were alcoholic but they dealt with it a little better i think than your mom did i don't know but so i had no excuse and here i was being the gigantic fuck up that 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 i was at that moment so i probably wouldn't have but i you know before i wrote this book i I used to say, oh, I have regrets. Yeah, I wish I didn't do this. I wish that didn't happen. I should have taken that role. I didn't do that. And after writing, I was like, no, everything was the way it was supposed to be. Because I've learned from each of those moments in my life. And I was smart enough to kind of do better or learn from them and not make the same mistake, hopefully. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. 
a lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to kind of jump back a little bit to you as a as a younger John. You talk about being a dorky kid. You talk about being in the marching band and loving yeah, right. puppets and yeah. l- magic and right. Disney. Yeah, right. Who was little who was little were you Johnny? Yeah, Johnny. Who who yeah, was little Johnny? Johnny? Pretty gawky, g- g- dorky. In the book I have a picture of me with puppets and there's a girl standing next to me going <laughs> You know, like it was not impressive. And then the next picture is me playing drunk. Like I went to that immediately thinking that. But I remember so you were always beautiful. I was a caterpillar and then into the butterfly. And, and it's all I wanted. I say that I wanted to be famous and I did, but I'm more, I just wanted to be liked. I wanted to be uh, admired or whatever. I, I, I was uh, bullied. You know, a guy punched me in the eye, I had a black eye and I had to deal with that. But then girls start, his girl in particular wanted to go out with me. And <laughs> I ended up going out with her for a couple of years. And, 
but then I realized is his name a protected name? Yeah, I changed it. Or, just because, uh, uh, I wanted to dedicate. Yeah, he knows who he I is. I hope so. He knows he who read. he is. I, I wanted to dedicate the whole book to him, but I, you know, they wouldn't let me. Um, no, but anyway, I'm kidding. But um, I did. I do remember every milestone was like, I'm going to show him. I'm going to. I'm going to play with the Beach Boys. I'm going to invite him to the show, and I'm going to have my bodyguards give him a black eye. And no, I'm going to. But those kinds of relationships, though, are important yeah. in a driving force you know i mean i've had them in different different ways you know mine was i my you know my revenge was like i'm gonna get an education (laughs) that's a good and prove all you wrong and how do you do you feel like i don't know but do you feel like you've uh, made it like you've you're pretty close to a complete human going through all the stuff that you've gone through and and i have finally just started doing things for myself on my own terms like what? Like what? Not giving a shit. Yeah, yeah. Like yesterday I was on the plane and um, there was a woman and she was sitting across the aisle from me and I was talking to this other lady. I was uh-huh. flying five different cities in like two days and and uh, they do the sneaky thing where they pick up the oh, camera yeah, yeah. And, they, they, and they think you're blind yeah, right, right. and it's right there mm-hmm. and, you know, and you're, and I had a tequila. So I was <laughs> like, all right, like, I was like, lady. God, no, I was like, yeah. don't say it, don't say it, don't do it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I said, hey, excuse me. I said, you know, if you had asked, I would have said yes. Right. But it's the sneaking yeah, I that I, I just can't take. And the woman got so embarrassed mm-hmm. to which then I felt so bad. bad. <laughs> and then I was I was going, do you want to meet me in the galley and I'll take a picture with you? And, <laughs> right, right, and right. I'm sorry, I've had a tequila and maybe I'm, know. you know, edgy, I'm tired. And, and, then, and then she's like, no, 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 I don't want a picture. And then I'm going, well, are you sure you don't want a picture? Why don't we just, why right. don't we just stand by the bathroom and get a picture? And then I became insane right. and the whole thing was a mess. But it was a moment where I thought like, I would have never said anything i would have just kept my mouth shut and i've gotten to this place where i don't want to give it all away anymore i'm proud of my kids proud of my 25-year relationship you know i'm proud of the fact that i'm still able to work um i'm castable yeah it wasn't until broadway that I realized I had talent, I had balls, yeah. I was a triple threat. Cabaret was the greatest thing I ever did. Did you have the best? Was it your favorite all time? It was It was um, a revelation to me. Uh, Wonderful Town was more so of a personal. I saw you in that. I saw that, you in that was just personal, my personal best. Um, Cabaret was a struggle the whole time, but it was one of the first times I really understood myself as an actress. Yeah, me too, uh, as an actor. For me, I had to like, you know, in the beginning, I, you know, I was afraid to really go to that place where you had to go to play the MC or to be, to be selling. Um, and, and people were walking out and I'm like, oh shit, what am I doing? And they said, no, you do it. That's the good. You know, that was a time to, as I write the, as I was writing, I found myself in the middle back then and before at General Hospital stuff in the middle of cultural issues that were going on. Cabaret was, uh, my first publicist was gay and he was dying of AIDS and, you know, I, and his parents didn't accept it. It was, I was going through, you know, the, that whole thing. So there's all these things as I wrote the book that it came to, but, but I'd never been, I'd never been on, st- I never done theater and I, and uh, you know, I worked with Jack Klugman, uh, before Full House and he was like, get to the theater. Blah, blah. And I was like, I never did it before. But like everything in my life, like writing a book, it's like, I can't write a book, but you do it. And I, and I, but I worked really hard at it. I mean, you've worked constantly yeah, as you have you. since your start. Yeah, but you've also done the thing that I think people don't 
they don't really realize is so important is that in order to have longevity in any capacity, you have to keep working. Yeah. But this business doesn't design is not designed to allow you to keep working. Right. Now you said you didn't want to be on Full House at first. When did you change your <laughs> why? Well, well, because look, it was um it was pitched to me as um Bosom Buddies. I love that show with Tom Hanks. Mm. Just glory and, and I um so it was and it was the same producers and it was like it's Bosom Buddies but uh you know there's three guys and there's some kids but they're in the background. And then <laughs> I was like, "Okay, you know, and I'm you know, we said yes and then we got it together and I'll never forget the table read. I went in thinking like I was the big, you know, I was the star. I came off, you know, shows and the, the, the mothers and the sisters were like, Oh, John Stamos. And I sat down at the table and Jody Sweeten blew the roof off the place. And every joke <laughs> that she, they were laughing so hard that you couldn't even hear. And then when it was over, I ran, it was payphone. So I ran out to the payphone. I jammed a quarter. And I said, get me off this fucking show. It's romper room. I didn't sign up for this. So I went in kicking and screaming. Were you just threatened by someone yeah. else getting a bigger yeah, yeah, laugh? Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. No, but it was, I, no, yes, until I learned to, you know, uh, I, it was a quite an evolution I'll get to, but I just thought it was a kiddie show and it wasn't for me and it wasn't sophisticated and it wasn't Seinfeld. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. So then we get into it. And after the first year was, I started to like it a little bit and I had to give into it because there it was every day. And I remember some, a father coming up to me saying, you know, the show means so much to me because I'm a single dad and I got two daughters and your family on there is not the traditional family, but you're still family. And like, okay. So the agents called and said, you know, we're going to, we're probably not going to make it. And I said, well, uh, really? I mean, I'm starting, they said, you hated the show. And I said, well, I'm starting to, now to back up and here's something I discovered I was writing. I was madly in love. My first love was this uh, uh, actress named Terry Copley. And um, I fell madly in love. She was a little older, sophisticated, she had a daughter. I said, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to be a stepdad. It's going to be great. I caught her in bed with Tony Dance. Um, and uh, <laughs> Brooke's uh, jaw just hit the, the, the not just the desk, but the floor. And the, I mean, just, it's perfect. So it's just, I haven't talked know. about this, but it's in the book. Um, but anyway, my point was what happened. And it was the low, it was horrible. I don't know if you've been heartbroken. You probably haven't because you're a heartbreaker, not a heartbreaker. No, I've, yeah. I don't know. Who? Ted McKinley? That's, that's another show. Michael Jackson? Who broke uh, No, no, no. No, no. Uh, Liam Neeson oh, <laughs> broke my heart. Wow. I heard you talking about that on um, Stern, right? right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Liam, well. <laughs> um, uh, so, but you know what that felt like, right? And so I was going to that. It took me years to get over it. Then I'm doing Full House. Then it's, it's on the bubble. I'm not going to get picked up. And um, they say, well, we're going to, they're going to try, John. They, they have an idea to put it on one of their hits during the summer and they put us on after one of their hit shows. We find an audience. We go back in second season. We become a hit. That show was Who's the Boss with Tony Danza. So it all equaled out. Wow. Well, I went. Um, it was interesting. I was surprised to hear that you um, and learn that you and Bob did not get along right. famously right. at first. What do you think that was about? Bob was a comic, and he was addicted, like a drug addict, to laughs. And if he didn't get them, he would go make the crew laugh, and that was terribly distracting. I came in approaching every scene with uh, story and why character and why would I say this? And I wouldn't move over there, you know, and Bob was just trying to make everyone laugh. And it was very distracting to me. And I probably was, you know, dampened his process too. But we finally came around truthfully when his sister 
scleroderma, but Dave's sister had a terrible cancer and my sister had a brain tumor. And all of a sudden we became brothers, you know, that were, re that were going to lose their sisters. Fortunately, my sister made it out. Theirs didn't. And so we, it was the moment where we put everything aside and, and, and really bonded and, 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 but I didn't, Jeff Franklin was over here the other day. He's, he's writing a book. He was asking him, he's the creator of Full House. He said, when did you, when did you just let go and, and like the show? I said, not until I wrote this book. The critics got to me, right? And and now I go, you know what, guys? You're not smarter than me. I know it was facile. I know it was silly at times. I know it was, you know, whatever. But what you missed is right below all that is heart. And it and and, and that's when the brain steps aside and lets you fully feel something. And you, you they weren't incapable of doing that. Guess what? The show wasn't meant for you. But listen, also, you know, people that that reach any level of of success in any of these shows and then decide they're going to like shit on the show right, and, right. and be like look down upon it i i've i lose i it just irks me so much because you know what then don't do it right don't do it and the critics are critics because that's what they do right. they they are critics and they, it doesn't behoove them but see, I had all the same side in her, but, but, but that is, that's it. Like we did have that same thing. And we, and did you feel like you're trying so hard to, to, to prove, to prove, and then when you finally let it go, you know, I was doing, um, I did the best man with James Earl Jones and it was hands down the greatest, you know, he's, he was the greatest living. I don't know if you've met him, but he's just a powerful genius. Uh, and then to be on stage with him too, night after night, it was a three, it was a three hour Gore Vidal show. Very real, very serious. And I remember the last night, he liked to go work on pieces, bits in scenes and stuff. And and it was closing the next day. And the night before, he wanted to work on something. But the last, <laughs> they were walking across the stage and the show was done. And the guys were taking stuff down. And I think people knew it was the last time that the two of us would have be alone. So people got away from us. And I said, James, uh, I used to call him Big Dad, Big Daddy. And he said, yeah, little John. I said, uh, you gave me something that no one, you gave me legitimacy. Standing on that stage with you, I finally feel that the people out there in this world will look at me and say, John Stamos, you are a real actor. We walk out and open the stage door and all the people are out there. Uncle Jesse, Uncle Jesse, say hi, mercy. <laughs> and I wanted to, I, I, did, I couldn't look at him. And I wanted to find a way to crawl in between some legs and run down Broadway. And just as I was feeling the most embarrassed, I look over and somebody has a phone out. And we go, hey, James Earl, could you say, Luke, I am your father? Could you say, Luke, I am your father? <laughs> and we looked at each other. It was like, okay. Yeah. Fuck it. I don't care. Call me Uncle J. You know, and that was a big relief to me and a, a revelation. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. 
You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. We call this show Now What? Because it is about those times in our lives when something happens. It could be good, it can be bad, and we're left thinking like, oh, shit, what do I do now? Right. You know, um, If you had to pick one moment that really changed you, what would it be? Um, you know, I, I was trying to think of that because of, uh, cause that's the, the theme of your show, but I think maybe turning 60, I have everything I want. I like Willy Wonka, right? You know what happened to the kid who got everything he wanted? He lived happily ever after. I'm at that point, but I have to, you know, I have to respect it and I have to be the best father and the best husband and the best human. When when things really clicked for me is when I turned it off, the gratitude, when I the gratitude just pouring out of me, gratitude, gratitude, thank God I'm still alive, thank God I have a family, thank God I, I'm so grateful. Every day, I, I for a long time, I would write it, my gratitude, you know, my list out, well, it could be simple things. Then I just started to feel it. Now I have some friends, you might know, that every morning it's like, uh, G, what we're grateful for, F, what our fears are, and A, what's our attribute today? What are we going to do? Is there a pivotal moment in in your life? Because you're clearly in a very healthy, different place mm -hmm. now. Right. Was there a, a pivotal moment that made you really realize that you wanted to find gratitude and feel differently? I think sobering up was, was it for me. Was it a long process or was it, did you fall off the wagon again? Did you go back and forth or? No, when, I, when it, when it happened and you, you know, we started this deal with, with talking about that DUI day, like, you know, could I have straightened out without it? Maybe not, but, but I think it, 
once I could admit that I had an issue and it was, you know, preventing me from the life that I always dreamed about, then it kind of all fell into place. And I had, I, I got out of, I went to rehab and that was, you know, it was, it was expensive. So I said, I'm going to put my all into this. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know? <laughs> and it were, and then I came out and, you know, and I was very lucky. I had a television stuff waiting for me. And then I met Caitlin about a year later and it was just like, I got to stay on this path. And and that's that's probably why now you're the father and husband fully realized or 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 in the process always of being fully realized to me it's it's a lifelong endeavor. Um, what kind of father do you feel that you are because of your entire past? Right. Well, I'm a father because I straightened up. Like I couldn't have it. You know, I was drinking in the you know I couldn't the the great. The, luckily for me, and it's it's hard for women, obviously, because of the time, you know, the time clock. Um, but you know, it, it was better for me to be older and be established and be clear and clean and and uh, be able to give him everything that he you know deserved. Well, and as a as a parent now, you probably what do you appreciate about your parents oh, that God. like you didn't before? Yeah, uh, almost so much. I, I more than the the kind you know the kindness. My mom was so kind and she would she would look at someone and whatever the, uh, whatever their good part was that's what defined them to her and i would be like mom like come on like we'd be in a restaurant and she would lather on these compliments and make someone feel really good I'd like come on mama and that's you know that's me now but i do wish that they were still around because i have you know you have questions that you go like ah, am i doing this right what do i do about that well how was i when i was you know five and a half and stuff it's weird to lose both parents yeah. and relatively young you feel orphaned yeah, in a way. Sure. And, and the things that have made me the saddest mm. is my, my girls not knowing my dad. Like, Did you know your dad at all? I can't remember. He so, so well. Oh, I was really? the, the, yeah, I was the last call that was made. Did, how old were you when he died? Then? He was, he died at 62. You, how old were you? And I was, uh, I was 30. Yeah, I was, uh, right just before I had Rowan. So I was 37 and uh, and then my mom died in 2012, but um, but she had dementia, so, so I sort right. of just watched her for a few years, you know. Yeah. But that's the my dad was just so beautiful and so larger than life and so funny. Um, my dad never saw any movie I was in. The only <laughs> thing that he saw me was in theater. He came to every Broadway show, and then when he was dying, he asked me for VHS tapes of all my suddenly susans how did it feel your dad being in the theater like at, seeing your shows to me that w was a to look at my like, dad my mom yeah my mom not seeing my mom as much because you know she was just always there and and always couldn't get you know couldn't get enough of me and but my dad it was this was something he could see and you know doing cabaret and being that provocative in front of daddy was a little bit of a, a little bit of a, blew my mind just a little bit. He'd be like, Jesus Christ, you're wearing your underwear on that yeah, stage. Think, but yeah, yeah. I don't think my dad could have saw me in cabaret. Why the sparkly <laughs> nipples, son? I don't care. But he saw me and had to succeed. And that, and he told my mom that was the proudest moment of his life. And that he, and he cried. That's so sweet. So to have, you know, but yeah, to, and by my mom saying, like, if she came to see him in cabaret, like if she was going to stay for three weeks, she was at every single show. <laughs> she wrote, you probably saw it. She wrote, uh, she would write something on the wall. Good luck, kid. Love you, Mama Stamos and stuff. 
And so what, what does it feel like having them witness something that is so hard and, and is so important and so difficult? And what was it like for them to witness that? Well, I always wanted to, I always wanted to make my dad proud, you know, and he was a tough, not tough, but he was, you know, he was a, you know, he, was, he used to, he loved to cook and he would make, you know, barbecue for all the TV shows and stuff. And they would, people would come over and say, like, oh, we don't eat meat. We don't, you know, he got so, he's like, they do cocaine, but they can't eat meat, these Hollywood meat. <laughs> but so he was the kind of like that, but to see him ever, if he ever sort of got soft and, and, and cry, you know, so when he cried, when he saw me and how to succeed, that meant a lot. He, you know, oh. when he, he, he had a, um, uh, stroke in in, in Vegas uh, airport and didn't and they tried to get him you know pump him and he didn't his, his his oxygen was too long so but he was in a coma for like six months which was you know I don't know if it was better or worse but but and he lived at the house and I and I found this um, he I was did a movie in Yugoslavia and he he they came over here there and he, when he got home this was a long long time ago and he wrote out this he very didn't write very much but he wrote he, very good handwriting and he wrote this note and faxed it to me. Okay, so I, I, I sort of forgot about it. But when he was dying, I, I went through into his room and he was a very humble, didn't have, I was looking for a watch. He had some crappy Timex or something. But then I moved some shirts around. I saw the bottom of this letter that's up there and it said, I love you, dad. And I was like, my heart stopped. I said, what is this? And I pull it and it was the original letter that he wrote and faxed. And he lays out a, a, B, and C. A, you know, the way you treated people was really made me proud. And, uh, you know, B, my, my chest was swelling to 60 inches. And C says, man doesn't have many great moments in his life, but you have given me many. I love you. So. Oh. Like, oh. Yeah. God. Okay. Right. Well, Jesus, we're to bring the room. Now what? Now what do we do? God, Stamos. I love oh, talking to you. Thanks for having I me. I love talking to you. Let's make a plan. I would I would love it. And let's, let's have a double let's date. Let's really do it. Let's go to the theater together. I'm gonna let's yeah. go to the theater. Let's toast Bob and all the wonderful people, those heroes right? that we love. Your mom, yeah. my mom, my mom and dad, oh, your mom and dad. Absolutely, Brooke. Yeah. I love you. I thank you. This was a really special time to talk to you, and I appreciate it. That was the wonderful John Stamos. And if you loved this interview as much as I did, go pick up a copy of his new book. If you would have told me. You'll be happy you did. That's it for us today. Talk to you next week. Now What with Brooke Shields is a production of iHeartRadio. Our lead producer and wonderful showrunner is Julia Weaver. Additional research and editing by Darby Masters and Abu Zafar. Our executive producer is Christina Everett. The show is mixed by Bahid Frazier. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. 
This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.